0: Hi, everyone. It's Amber Love of Vodka O'Clock Podcast from AmberUnmasked.com. Don't forget we are labeled as an explicit website and podcast, so if you're easily offended or under 18, you should probably go away. Um, But today we have a really informative show. Uh, What you you heard for intro music, uh, instead of the regular Vodka O'Clock theme, is actually music from a band called The Slants. The band's founder, Simon Tam, joins the show today to talk about the band, and the uh, interesting trademark court battle that they've had going on because of their name. So I know it's a really big day. Oral arguments were being heard today, as a matter of fact. And um, the Slants, uh, they're a a really fun musical group. I I really enjoy listening to them. And they've been featured on NPR. They've traveled to anime shows and Comic-Cons and everything. So, Simon, welcome to Vodka Clock.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, um... I love how you just decided that you had a mission for you know making this band and, and pulling people together you had a very specific goal in mind with having an all Asian American band and you you decided that your genre you even invented the name for that. You called it Chinatown dance rock because I was like, Oh, it's sort of like indie rock. It's kind of dance rock. It's kind of, you know, and then I saw on your website, you're like, it's Chinatown dance rock. I'm like, well, that sure fits. (laughs) So, um, take me back to uh, what was it? 2004. When you, when, when you came up with this, what was going on that you felt like this needed to happen?
1: Well, you know, it's kind of interesting that the, uh, The inspiration behind this band came from a movie. It came from Quentin Tarantino's film, uh, Kill Bill. And I missed it in the theaters, but I bought it as soon as it came out on DVD. And I remember watching it, um, and, you know, as a Tarantino fan in general, I I really enjoyed it. But there was one particular iconic scene, and that's when the Yakuza gang, the Crazy 88s, walk into this restaurant... And the music's blasting, and I just remember them looking really sexy, confident, and cool. And I thought that was maybe the first time I had ever seen a group of Asian-Americans, especially Asian-American males, depicted that way in an American film. And I thought, well, you know, there's got to be more than this. But then as I started thinking about it more, I thought – wait, I don't even know of any Asian or Asian American artists being portrayed that way in like mainstream music um, and in particular rock music. And so that's when I had this idea of like, I wanted to kind of shift that perception and, and, and start creating something that could fill up that, that, you know, void um, as far as the eight, having people of color in a dynamic rock and roll band. And so that's when I kind of got the idea for the band, the, the, we actually used to call it Asian dance rock for our music, but, um, the first couple of months after, after we got started, we switched it to Chinatown dance rock just because, uh, I watched this documentary on, on Chinatowns and, and I thought it was so fascinating thinking about the very place that, um, the only place that Asians could find acceptance were in Chinatowns. And they comprised of more than just Chinese people. There were a lot of Vietnamese, Laotians, Koreans, and so on. Um, And that was kind of where this Pan-Asian community would band together, um, explore their culture, and find a way to survive. And I just thought it was just kind of the perfect parallel to what I was doing here in, in my band and in our music.
0: I think it gives a distinction between the like Tokyo pop Okay. Uh, you know like things that we i don't know at least in the the comic cons i've been to and i haven't been to the west coast ever so i don't know what it's like over there i imagine it, the community is extremely different but um the shows out here like new york comic con and uh philadelphia i just think there's um like it's, it's that j pop yeah you know is kind of what the what the, the kids go crazy for it's and it's like very specifically like i i it mostly targeted towards a very young audience oh, whereas your like when you you and I started talking back and forth um it was it definitely felt more mature and we were talking about steampunk we were you know we were going back and forth about different things and and I when um I listened to the songs it didn't feel like I didn't feel like I was invading a 14-year-old's party <laughs> <laughs> and I and I think that's what a lot of people might have that thought in their head. So Chinatown Dance Rock to me makes it much more grown up sounding.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it represents it, it kind of distinguishes us from all those like J-pop, Korean pop, or, or J-rock bands out there because we are, uh, you know, we're homegrown. We are an Asian American band. And you know we sing in English. Most of our influences are actually British and American, not necessarily Japanese. And so we have a definitely a different kind of sound and approach to to what we do. Um, and, you know, we're we're still like geeks at heart, and and we're we're definitely into all kinds of uh, alternative cultures. But um, but you know we're not a J rock band right now in the lineup. There's only one member of my band who's actually Japanese, and that's our lead singer. But Um, Other than that, we just didn't quite fit into these other categories that you find at like conventions and that kind of thing.
0: So let's talk about the band a bit. Um, Now, are you still taking a role on bass?
1: Yeah. So I, I, I play bass right now and I, I manage the band. So I like to say I'm, I also kind of babysit uh, adults (laughs) for living.
0: (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Um, And you did have a a change. uh, It's, to the band recently, and you mentioned that you know you have one person who's Japanese, and is that Ken,
1: the new singer? Yeah, Ken Shima's our, our new lead singer. He just joined the band uh, this past summer, so about five months ago. Okay, so, because
0: um, I know that Aaron Moxley was with the band for a really long time, and he had an amazing presence, like, fronting the band. Oh, definitely, so, you know, sort of. Um, how is Ken adjusting?
1: Well, Ken's doing really well. He's he's got a fantastic attitude, and uh, you know, he always uh, impresses me because um, this is actually his first rock band he's ever been in. Like, he comes from musical theater, doing productions of, like Cats and Rent, and so we were kind of unsure at first. If, you know, we liked his personality, we liked his voice, but we weren't, we weren't sure if he would be able to cut it. Um, however, he jumped right in with a lot of enthusiasm, and uh, he brings a different kind of presence, a lot of energy on stage, and so far all of our fans have just loved it. And uh, a lot of people say they really like the the new voice and direction, um, and while still kind of keeping the same sentiment and energy and presence that our band normally delivers on stage. So um, it's wonderful to hear that all of our fans are behind us in this decision as well.
0: Okay. Um, well, when will we get to um, have an album or, or anything with Ken fronting the, the band?
1: Well, we there's a couple of videos on our Facebook and YouTube page um, like from live performances, but we're actually in the studio right now, so okay, we're, cool. we're going to be having um, a new album with, with Ken on uh, probably in the next couple months.
0: That's good news, that's good news. So um, tell me about the the rest of the group, because it's um, you've got, what, like
1: five now? Yeah, there's five of us here, so yeah. six if you count a roadie.
0: <laughs> okay, so you have Wilmore Moore on, on lead guitar, and who, who else do we have?
1: Ty Dow, he plays keyboards and rhythm guitar, and then uh, Tyler Chen is our drummer.
0: And they're all original guys?
1: No, actually I'm the only original member of this band. Um, so I, Tyler's been around for a long time. I mean, he's been in the band since uh, late 2008. Um, but he was he's actually our the fourth drummer that we've had. So we've had a lot of people come and go, and especially in the beginning, because we would, um, you know, we kind of had this out of the gate situation where within 3 months of our first show we released an album when we were ready on tour and not everybody was ready for that so we had members who were like hey i got kids i got i i got life going on i can't i can't be on the road so much and so um you know we would part ways and get their blessing and uh, and just continue to move forward so um you know understandably so and it just kind of happens with bands anyway sometimes with it's because of personalities and in our case, most of the time it had to do with just scheduling conflicts
0: are you well are you guys full time as musicians
1: uh so half the band it, uh, half. It, um just doesn't have like a day job, so to speak, and then mm-hmm. actually almost everybody in the band <laughs> but uh a couple of members do have like jobs, and some of us um do a couple like a juggle a lot of different things for example um I I run a nonprofit. I'm actually on the board of directors for six nonprofits. Uh, I teach at three colleges. I write and um, and then I also create music as well. So um, I I kind of wear a lot of hats.
0: And is is there anybody that I forgot? Because I know that you have like roadies.
1: Oh and um, yeah, some people. We got Ken Simon, and he's one of my favorite people on this planet. He's our roadie, and he's 64 years old. <laughs> So
0: um, nice, he, he, and he he has a good time.
1: Oh yeah, I mean it was a, he used to be a Verizon telecom executive, um, but it was always his dream to go on tour with a rock band, and now he's just basically living the dream. He drives us. He um, he helps fix our gear when it breaks down. Um, he's just one of the most warm and generous people I've ever met. So it's, it's really nice having him around.
0: Did he build that really cool tour bus that year? <laughs>
1: um, well, he, he, helped build the inside of it, like the bed, that, that kind of thing. We actually have a different tour bus now. We, we just, oh, do you? Yeah, we just got a new one a couple months ago. And so, um, it's going to be, uh, altered so that we have like a bed and uh, storage area and stuff like that. But, you know, he'll be taking that on, but he hasn't yet.
0: That's I imagine a big necessity if you want to get around.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 also nice just having something that you can be comfortable in because when we're on tour we essentially live in a bus, and when you live in like something that small with like six people, <laughs> you gotta, that's
0: confined. Yeah, yeah you got
1: to maximize the space. You got to have some place where you know someone can lie down, especially if they've had like a really long or rough night. Um, so we try and make it as, as as pleasant as possible.
0: What's your schedule going to be like for 2015?
1: Well, we're going to be doing a tour wrapped around uh, this festival called South by Southwest in March. Uh, sure, it's huge. And then after that, we're actually jumping right back in the studio to, to, to re- record a new album of originals. But we'll probably be doing a bunch of regional tours throughout the year. So, um, usually how we do it is we kind of break things up to like a week to three weeks at a time. Uh, but we've got a lot of exciting things on, on the horizon that we just can't quite announce yet. Like we're discussing a possible partnership with a, a theater where we're going to, you know, perform and act in a production. And so there's a lot of really, really cool things in the works right now, but, um, we, we, you know, we have a new lead singer. We got a new lineup that's totally excited and and ready to go. So we are are definitely going to have probably one of our busiest years yet. And uh, and at the same time, you know, we'll be writing and recording new music.
0: That's pretty exciting. Um, I I don't know if you have any plans to get onto the East Coast, but it'd be great if I could catch you out here.
1: Oh, I, I would I would love to. Uh, we. We, we love going out to the east coast. It's just it takes a lot of time.
0: <laughs> That's a it's a big haul to go across the country.
1: But, uh, I mean, you okay. know, we were there uh, a year and a half ago for DragonCon, and we did a tour up and down the coast. And uh, so cool. we'll probably be back again. Although most of the conventions that we have slated right now are in the the western half of the U.S.
0: Yeah, and I um I know that the The convention scene out there is just so. It, it just sounds so different, and I don't know. I don't know why.
1: <laughs> Something in the water. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely different. But um, there's a couple of conventions that are similar. Um, you know, like there's, but there's a couple of ones I just really, really enjoy going to uh, out, out east. One of them, in particular, is in Nashville called MTAC. Like we've played that one four times, and we 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 love it. I mean, the fans there are just absolutely insane I mean they just they when we go there they show up and they wait for our bus to pull up and then they'll give us like gift baskets with like snacks and stuff because they you know we're like starving musicians and it's, it's, it's the <laughs> sweetest thing ever and I, um, I, I it's just it blows me away every time that's you know it's really humbling to have somebody care about our art that much it's really cool that must be is this what you always
0: wanted to do?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, My parents have, like, these home videos where, like, I couldn't barely speak anything, but I would grab my dad's guitar, jump on a coffee table, and pretend I was on stage. And uh, I guess growing up, I I pretended I was in a band with my sister and my cousins and would make, like, terrible fake music. And um, so I guess something was instilled in me from a very early age. Um, And then you know, here I am now, uh, getting to, to travel the world and, and make music and using that as a way to talk about like social justice issues. So it's definitely been, definitely been really exciting. And, um, you know, I feel honored and blessed every day.
0: Well, speaking of, you know, so- social issues, what, um, like talk about some of the songs and the, the music behind it. And, you know, because there's, um, like adopted, for example, is like it's such a cool song. But I mean, you have I don't know, it's like tugging on your heartstring, kind of, kind of lyrics sometimes. Yeah, and you know, I, but the but the but it's rock music. I mean, it's not you know, it's it's not um, you know like protest songs from the sixties.
1: <laughs> no, and uh, you know, there's a comedian called, uh, named Hari Kondabolu, and he jokes about that because he's like saying. You know, the sound of the revolution is not acoustic guitar. <laughs> um, I, you know, for for me, I've always loved, like, punk rock music, especially the Ramones, but I also like hard rock, like Guns N' Roses, and so I naturally write stuff like that. Um, and then as a kid of the 80s, you know, it's just keyboards and effects and stuff that we got to throw in. Um But as far as, like, the musical content, most of it is just created with uh, the perspective as being a person of color, uh, being a member of a marginalized community, and just talking about those things, whether it has to do with personal relationships, like, you know, falling in or out of love, or just struggling with uh, issues of identity, so... um, you know the the song you mentioned adopted was written by our our previous singer who, who who was adopted from from Vietnam during the Vietnam War, and so it's just like the song of longing or like trying to find a place uh and a connection uh in our in our country and we have other songs that just kind of kind of depict those kinds of struggles that we've we've gone through, but um more than anything else, I guess you could say it's our slant on life and what it's like to be an asian American Um, And so we kind of dabble in a lot of different things and some stuff is just, you know, more fun and just about like having a crush on somebody or something like that. And, you know, others are just kind of like, Hey, it's tough being on the road, like typical, like touring band kind of stuff. So I guess it kind of, kind of depends on on what we're feeling at the time when we're writing and kind of what we're inspired by.
0: I think that's a great thing about music and art in general is that um, it's, I guess it's always debatable about how it's interpreted because I, you know, if you read a story and your professor tells you and what he's saying here is this, <laughs> I just always wanted to say, well, how the hell do you know? How do you know what that guy is saying? Unless he has an essay somewhere backing that up. It's, uh, you know, what it is to you might not be what the,
1: creator of it
0: oh. meant it all.
1: Of, of course, and um, I, I think it's one of those things that are just fascinating, and I actually kind of like it. Um, there's an author, uh, John Green, who, who who actually talks about this, and uh, his argument is that once you release something, it's no longer yours. Um, like, it's if it provides a meaningful uh, form of expression for the reader or for, for somebody who's appreciating the art, then it kind of becomes something else entirely. And sometimes I feel that way about our music as well, like we might have one particular intent. Um, for example, when we first wrote our album, we talked about, you know, what it was like to be marginalized and not, you know, feeling like your voice is heard, but we very quickly found that that particular message resonated across the convention world in the world of like cosplayers and geeks and people, you know, people in the queer community who feel like, Hey, I get this. I know what it's like to feel like an outsider. And so it was really amazing to see that those kinds of messages really, um, struck a nerve and, 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 and maybe like touched a few hearts from other people who could find a way to relate to that struggle.
0: I think that's something that's really important because, um, with a lot of the discussions on feminism, I know I got to a certain point when I was younger. I was It was really like a roller coaster for me because in, in high school I would have said, you know, yeah, I'm a feminist. And then I got to college and I started to understand things less instead of understanding them more Sure. in college. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not. And then I... Because the the whole idea of wanting everyone want to be treated equally, whether they're trans, or you know, or whether they're a person of color, whatever you know, it's just it was completely lost. And I think it's something that you know people are are still being educated on. They're, you know, like the the celebrities when the celebrity comes out, and it comes off as saying something stupid when you, you know when a celebrity says, "I'm not a feminist." <laughs> Um, because they are, but there's debate as to the semantics of the word, yeah. and, you know, like you're saying in your music, you're, it's relatable to all kinds of people, so in, you know, that's the thing in the the feminist side of it, too, like, like yeah, we, you know, we do mean trans people, too, you know?
1: Oh, I, I definitely agree, and I think, um, <clears throat> you know, for us, and just like kind of the feminist movement, it is important to have allies and people who don't necessarily fit the mold that your your community identifies with or as um it just makes it the, the, the movement or your uh your work much more inclusive and and i would say much more effective as well so it's great to um to have other people who can relate and and, and connect with us on that well
0: in the geek world it's Really interesting, depending on, on what you're looking at, um, because, for example, today, I saw an announcement that somebody became, uh, was hired as associate editor for one of the comics companies, and I was like, oh, okay, look, another white guy. Yeah. All right, I'm being judgmental. Let me go look up the company and see what the rest of their staff looks like. No, their entire staff is men. Sure. The entire, they have, like, 15 people on staff, and they're all men. What? And they're not all white, but they're still all men.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's not surprising.
0: <laughs> and I, I'm like, oh, God, just when I think it's getting better, I see something like that. And, you know, but on the other hand, then I the, the, there's so much praise and there's awards going to female creators. So, you know, I, I know that it just depends on what I'm looking at through, through the, you know, the blinders at that second.
1: Yeah, and I think... Um you know, even though we, we can definitely see progress in a number of areas, there are going to be times where we see companies stumble and where we, you know, there might be some, some victories achieved in, in terms of, like, equity or equality, but there are, there are going to be those moments where you're just, like, pounding your head against the, the desk or the wall because you're like, hey, like, what year is this? Why are we still doing this? Um so,
0: yeah, yeah. that's not well, surprising. Well, with Image Expo, that just happened this week. And I I saw some pictures because last year uh, it became a big controversy that uh, they released a picture of one of their big presentations on stage. And it was a stage full of men, even though we know that there are female creators over at Image. So this year there actually were six women up on stage this time when the, the picture went out. And it made a big, huge difference. And it's 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 perception. It's not that we're saying, okay, gee, we guess that you're not, you know, female friendly. It's just, it's just like at that moment, like what? Were none of the women important enough for you to fly out there? Like what was it? And, yeah. Um, you know. So at least this year, the the perception and the presentation was totally different. Um, but I know that one of one of your songs, you know, talking about these conventions and stuff, you have a song called Con Kids. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, were you one? Were you a con kid growing up?
1: Um, you know, I, I, I attended Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con growing up, but I didn't think of myself as a con kid. Um, I, <laughs> I just thought this is a cool local thing. Like, it's no big deal. I'm going to go there and buy, sell and trade comic books. And that was, you know... That was a while ago. Um, Now it's this beast. (laughs) Now it's a lot different. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is that I I wasn't even aware of the world of like anime conventions until someone invited me to one about um, 2006. And at that point, I still didn't have uh, a lineup for this band, like this idea of starting an Asian-American band. So... I remember, like, an anime convention. Cool, there's going to be like a ton of Asian people here. Maybe I could meet some of them and uh, play music. And I and I go there, and it's like a bunch of geeky white kids running around. Who <laughs> and I was like, wait a <laughs> second, this is not <laughs> this is not what I thought yeah. it was going to be like. Um, so it was. There was a little bit of a culture shock moving from like the world of like Comic Con, which even like back then, say so, you know, 20 years ago. Not a ton of people dressed up. It was very few people did at all. And now it's like cosplays is this huge thing. So, um, I guess even though I kind of grew up in a way as a con kid, um, I didn't really connect with that culture until we started playing them all over the country. And to kind of give you an idea of this, uh, since, since that first anime convention in 2006 where, um, where well, I was invited to attend, and uh, uh, up until now, so all these different conventions that we've performed or worked with, I've attended almost 180 conventions now in, um, and, 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 uh, you know, seven and a half years. So, um, so I'm very much ingrained in that culture, I guess you could say. <laughs> well,
0: that's nice. I mean, it's, you know, we... I don't know. We just we love when we know that there's kindred out there, yes. <laughs> and, you know, and it, to to be nerdy and to be accepted. And everybody's got their own brand of nerd. Of course, um, it, it, you know, like like I don't play chess. <laughs> I don't I don't know anything about
1: chess. Oh, yeah, I, I I do play chess. <laughs> so, but yeah, it, it's definitely people. There's so many areas in the fandom, so it's it's definitely a really fascinating thing. And uh, one that I I really enjoy.
0: And um, I had mentioned the song "Adopted" before, and you have a really great video up on the website and YouTube um, for it. It's got this steampunk and burlesque whole you know direction to it. Was that um, like is that what's not really part of the song, but it's really why was the video made that way? Oh
1: well, it, well honestly, I guess it was because we thought it would look cool.
0: Well, it does look really cool. Um,
1: For a long time, I'd been wanting to do um, a music video with aerial artists, like people who perform with silks or the trapeze, because I just think it's the most amazing and beautiful thing in the world.
0: It really is. I agree. And then
1: uh, I I got connected with a local group here, and we talked to them about it, and and they, they were all for the idea. But I was like, well, we don't sing about being on a trapeze or in a circus or anything like that. But then I thought, well, maybe there's like a certain kind of parallel of like that circus like look. And, and it, because like, you know, you think about a circus troupe, it it's almost like the, the misfits of society. Um, at least your traditional generic circus mm-hmm. of like the bearded lady and, and the trapeze artist and all that stuff. Like, they kind of get adopted into this troupe and become this family and travel. And so I thought, okay, maybe there's some kind of connection or parallel there. Um,
0: I, think, I think steampunk definitely has um, has that familiar tribe-like, clan-like sort of thing about it. It's one of the reasons I love the Steampunk World's Fair. Uh, you know, everybody, uh, it, you know, they, they know that there's an acceptance there. Yeah,
1: definitely. And so that, I, I guess that was kind of the... The thought process but more than anything it was about just trying to like finding an excuse to have these um beautiful talented dancers in our video and, and find a way to make it work yeah.
0: maybe make it work yeah but definitely I would hey if it were up to me I'd be like oh all of your videos should be like that but you have really cool videos
1: <laughs> that, that, that one is one of my favorites though and it was one of my favorite to shoot because I remember we we're filming these uh women like twirling 20 feet in the air and I was just, we were just like blown away. Like we were getting distracted from filming or like performing because they are just right, doing these amazing things and um and, and so it's really really neat and, and it's been wonderful because now I'm like much more involved in that community and um, I help uh, fund their Kickstarters for, for other dance performers and we try and like work together whenever we can so we've made several performances together uh, so it's just I, I love connecting with art, other artists and it's just a, that was just another way to do it. So we, we, like we've connected with like fashion designers and, and dancers and um, other filmmakers. and it's just always really amazing to me to, to see that intersection of like how people interpret art and, and our music and, and finding ways to uh, kind of reinvent it and share it with people.
0: Well, yeah, and music has always been so hand in hand with fashion. I I mean, you can't escape the impact that they have on each other. From you know Gwen Stefani to Michael Jackson, and you know Freddie Mercury,
1: David Bowie.
0: (laughs) David Bowie, yeah. I mean, there's just, I mean, Madonna like had these personal relationships with her fashion designers. You know,
1: of course. And it, so, speaking of it's, David Bowie and music videos, I always wanted to do a music video that recreated the ball scene and labyrinth. I just think that would be amazing. But
0: <laughs> Did you see over on YouTube, there actually is behind the scenes footage of that where it was this um, stunt juggler.
1: Oh yeah. Like that did the, like, the rotating ball.
0: Yeah. He did the, yeah, he did all the stuff like his arm was sort of like tucked up under Bowie's uh, arm and, and through the costume and stuff. and now,
1: Yeah, now when I it. watch the film, I can't unsee that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, I, it, but it's so breathtaking. It's just, oh, it, it's wild, yeah. and, and I love that sort of uh, film technique. I mean, you know, like, now if they wanted to do it, they would just be like, okay, it's your arm, but we're going to CGI these crystals in. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, Labyrinth is a trippy movie. Tri- very trippy.
1: Yes, Definitely.
0: So, but speaking of movies, um, you know, we were talking about feeling marginalized, and uh, and we're we're going to talk about the, the trademark case because your band name is sort of going through the, all these troubles. Um, but this week, Scarlett Johansson was cast as the lead in Ghost in the Shell, and that caused a lot of um, uproar. In a lot of nerd rage going on on Twitter. yeah I mean, we all love her, but you know somebody said, why you know why her? Of course, why her? It's Hollywood. And I have this sad, sad despair feeling like, well, if she had said no, they would have just asked Jennifer Lawrence. Um,
1: most likely, yeah <laughs> the, Their motivation is going to be definitely you know money and and, and Hollywood has this assumption. That, um, people of color in particular, Asian actors don't sell. They don't, they don't, they don't get folks out into the theaters. Um, so it, it this isn't new, the whitewashing, um, uh, phenomenon. I mean, we saw that with like, what, okay. Dragon Ball Z and, uh, last year. Avatar. Avatar, yeah. I mean, it's like over and over again.
0: Yeah, and Exodus was, you know, the most
1: recent. Exodus, which is just absurd because, I mean, it, and they try to justify it by saying it's about money. But if they really wanted, if they cared about money, they probably wouldn't need to spend so much money on having like a, you know, big name actor or actress. They could <laughs> pick up an up-and-coming um, up person. Or, I mean.
0: Sure, yeah, why couldn't they? Um, you know, and some movies take that risk. You know, sure. like, I, I don't know. It's just, I, I know a lot of people got really pissed off.
1: Yeah, I mean.
0: And it's not that we don't love Scar. You know, Scarlet. is like, she's she's a, a nerd to us in our eyes anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's an interesting thing to consider because, like, although I personally don't like the, the concept of whitewashing uh, characters, we also have to understand that, like, you know, DreamWorks or other companies, when they're doing it, they're going to obviously be making their own, putting their own touch on it. And it's almost like uh, there's this blog called the Nerds of Color that really discussed this, uh, and I think in a really, um, a really critical way. They kind of said that it'd be like saying if a Japanese movie studio recreated uh, a movie like The Matrix, they would be obligated to have to cast all white characters. Um, it, it, but I, I, I don't know. It, it, I have like kind of mixed feelings about it. I, I do think it's a the it's a little futile to expect Hollywood to always um, cast a more um, or to present a more diverse cast and and involved in things, especially in playing roles that are fundamentally Japanese, but I don't know I mean it's like kind of like every time I hear about them talking about the remake of Akira I kind of cringe because they, they, right. they only talk about white actors but um, it's, it's just kind of kind of odd
0: well I, last night I watched the um, George Takei documentary on Netflix oh yeah and um, I mean he's had a really amazing life just uh, you know it's just it's been tragic and it's been uplifting and I mean it's been it's been everything you know it's certainly a a life to honor and revere and you know he got started in the business doing voice over work of the Japanese movies like the Godzilla and Rodan and those things where he spoke the the English words for the um, I guess if it was released over here Mm mm-hmm um, and you know, and this is just it, this is such part of Hollywood history. I mean, it was a voiceover. I mean, nobody would have seen what he looked like. It could have been done by anybody, but at least, at least it was sort of fitting. You know, voiceover is a whole tricky thing because you really don't you don't see the people. Yeah,
1: of course. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know, but I I think to to Kay actually. Discusses a lot of these things. I mean, certainly throughout the last few years of his career, it has been um, in protest of the whitewashing that Hollywood's been doing. And so, um, you know, I think I think his life story and the way he discusses these issues are definitely a great way to kind of communicate kind of the sentiment of what, like my, for example, my community feels, or how how any kind of like marginalized community can feel when when this happens.
0: Yeah, he's got the, the the double whammy burden, if you will, of also being gay. Yes. So, um, I I just, his life must feel so, I don't know, so different than, you know, I have as a, a white person of privilege, you know. It's, because I, I can, I don't know, because you can fake being not queer if you need to go on a job interview. You don't want to. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, But
1: there's a you can't. yeah, there's a way to kind of like hide behind a certain veil. I mean, yeah, just like if you know, say if, if, if a person was atheist or um, a, you know, pagan or a, other kind of uh, religious uh, affiliation that might not be acceptable to to a certain community.
0: And I was surprised; I didn't realize that he actually didn't come out until fairly recently. I thought Decay was I don't know. I, 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 I didn't realize that it was just such a new thing.
1: Yeah, he only came out to his kind of friends and family, and and it wasn't until um, the uh, the whole you know marriage equality issue was was being debated in the California courts that he he decided to make it public. Both him and his partner was like, were kind of like enough is enough. We we gotta we gotta stand up for this.
0: Well, one of their stories was so sad. They went over to Japan and, I think it was Japan, and um, they were going into this temple and it was only only married people were allowed to enter it. So Brad had to stay on the bus. Yeah. It was just like, ah, oh, it's just heartbreaking, you know? And to hear whenever Brad got on to, you know, was on screen and would tell the story... He's he's so emotional and and choked up. They're a really great couple together because clearly you know it's like you've got your behind the scenes person and then you've got your spotlight person. <laughs> They're so great and supportive it, together. It is uh,
1: definitely clear in that particular uh, relationship, and, and that, yeah, I mean, I, I I admire both of them quite a bit because of because of their work and the commitment to each other. And it, I mean, it definitely they it definitely seems like they make a really good team.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, and to manage to get through everything that they have. But yeah, I mean, you know, we're still celebrating when states, state by state by state, we're getting there for marriage equality. So Yeah,
1: now we're over the majority. I mean, that's... Yeah, Florida. I mean, who would have thought? <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, wasn't the map like just the Midwest now? Like it's like this. It it sort of looks like a an Oreo, a, a rainbow Oreo, <laughs> right
1: now. More or less, and uh, but you know, I mean, I I think about this uh, issue a lot, it, especially because my my sister's gay, and and I kept thinking. I mean, she's not interested in marriage at all. But like, <laughs> if she was, I mean, just thinking that for just. Even 10 years ago, she would have had to gone to Canada. She would have to, like, go somewhere else. And then when she came back, like, not even be recognized by her own country. It's just, you know, it's heartbreaking. But it's wonderful and uh, thrilling to see um, the movement just just moving so quickly across our country right now. Like, we... We are in such an incredible era of, of civil rights changes here that it's, uh, you know, it's exciting to be a part of that.
0: And part of this movement, like, um, I know in, in comics, we seem to typically, I don't know, we say queer because it's sort of an all-encompassing word. And yet while I was... Um, Reading that Oregon Live article about the slants in your court case, they, the reporter pointed out that, you know, queer eye for the straight guy is allowed to exist and be trademarked, but other businesses with the word queer are rejected on the exact same premise as why the slants have been uh embroiled in, in all of this because they find it disparaging and immoral, deceptive, or scandalous. And it's like, but why is it okay to use queer over here? But we can't use queer over here. Yeah. I mean,
1: What's like
0: going on?
1: The, the t-shirt company, clearly queer, uh, has been denied, um, their, their trademark registration. And that's like, it's kind of absurd. And I think a lot of it has to do with money. It has to do with the, uh, the individual who's actually looking at the piece of paper at the time. Um, it's, I don't know. It's absurd.
0: because I don't know. Because, and, like, I, I just don't know why it's just, you know, who said that word? Like, who picked out that that word in particular and, and decided, you know, it didn't mean uh, it wasn't accepted the way that gay is, like big gay ice cream truck, you know? I, and... I, i'm just not sure like i don't remember queer ever being a bad
1: word well, you know I, I think growing up for me like i remember people using it in a disparaging way kind of like the the term fag was is, is considered generally by most people like pretty offensive but then there are also those in the in the queer community who embrace it and are like you know what Loud, you know we're going to be proud of who we are so um it, it's kind of like depends on the individual community groups. And that's why I also think it's, it's not the role of the government to step in and say what's appropriate or not appropriate, especially to people they've been screwing over for like decades. Because, you know, for, to, for them to kind of say, hey, you know what, Um slant can't be used in a positive self-referential manner. I mean, that's, To me, that's even more offensive, that they have the audacity to think that they know what's best for my community when they have no connection to it whatsoever. I mean, it's like people, Asian Americans have been using slant in a positive way for decades now. Um,
0: It seems like they would have to update some kind of vernacular, you know, some sort of lexicon. They'd have to update it every single year because these things change. Like, you know, we were saying, like, growing up, queer... Was different, but I, I didn't. I don't know. I, I can't say that I didn't know any gay people. We just didn't know what you know what it was. But for the most part, I really would never have heard the word except for kids bullying each other. So I don't really know what the queer community felt like in the seventies if they would have said that word or
1: not. And, and it's kind of odd to me that just because a uh, it depends on the context in which it's used as well. You know, I mean. It,
0: well yeah we used to say Tranny yeah. just to be sh- just to be short it's- for transsexual because ooh, you know, saying the sexual part was far more offensive. Yeah. Um, and now it's just transgender and or you could just say trans.
1: Correct. But
0: you and, never, never ever ever say tranny anymore.
1: Yeah, unless saying you're like I don't know an auto shop and some <laughs> they talk and
0: someone, If you're if you intend to be an asshole then oh yeah, if you're talking about transmission yeah. then that's different.
1: Or, or or yeah, or people who I mean I was just watching uh like a rebroadcast tra- rebroadcast episode of how I met your mother and one of the characters would like referred to a drag queen as a tranny. And it was like, I kind of like, what, <laughs> what did they say? And, and realize that, you know, even, even as recently as like two years ago, both the daily show and uh, Colbert report used the term. Um, and it was like, you know, it had, it, we actually had, to, uh, I was a part of a change.org petition to try and get the writers of the shows to stop using the word. So it's like, um,
0: well, and that's exactly what, you know, what happens with language in general, it's going to change all the time. Definitely. Um, um, with the, uh, the NFL Washington Redskins case that was back in the news again today. And as you said, it'll be in the news for quite a while. Um, Somebody, there's a law professor who actually has tried to get sanctions imposed through the FCC on any broadcaster that says that word. And it's like, first of all, it's a reporter; it's your job. Yeah. Um, You really don't get to pick and choose, you know, how you say somebody's identification. You know, like that's their name at the moment until the NFL makes them change it. Um, so I, I mean, I know that they've had several trademarks revoked because of their name, but at the same time, they're still there and they exist. And I don't, obviously, there's a lot of legal red tape that's involved, but there's, even at this point, with the Department of Justice intervening, they still get to keep their name, and you guys don't get your trademark at all either, but you can keep your name, you know, just to perform.
1: Yeah, we just don't get any of the uh, protections of the law or benefits that come with a a trademark registration and so it's you know in some ways it's even considered a a free speech issue especially when you talk about like social political speech because um, you know the Supreme Court actually did rule in favor of saying like commercial speech is a form of speech and by them denying our our trademark um, it's an abridgment of our own rights It's kind of like ridiculous that, you know, our government will go to bat to protect um, a group like the Westboro Baptist Church and their ability to protest and uh, at funerals and do all these horrendous things that they do. But they aren't willing to do it for a proactive racial justice rock and roll band.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they're allowed to have their posters up that say God hates fags, really gigantic in the biggest letters possible. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and it's like, well, the Supreme Court's like, you know, that's their right, but um, I don't know. It's just one of those things that shows the lack of connection in, in, in our in our government with with its own communities. Um, they they just they don't get it, and a lot of them, honestly, they don't really care, and it's it's kind of sad.
0: So, if you were. Um I know the music industry is just completely different now. I mean, it's different than when you had to rely on things being carried in retail shops. And now you just, you know, now you can just go straight to your consumer. You can find good platforms more like, you know, like iTunes or something. But you know, iTunes, I has censored comics before through their store. Um, And censor, I mean, in the way that they didn't, they didn't change the material. They would simply reject it and boot it out of the store. So it, would the Slants, without their trademark, uh, be able to get into places like Walmart or iTunes?
1: Um, I don't think it'd be an issue. I mean, we we are on iTunes and uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Play- Best Buy, places like that. That hasn't really been an issue with that. I mean, and I think a big reason why is because slant is an otherwise neutral term. I mean, you can use it to sit, to mean refer to a line, you can use it to refer to a perspective or that kind of thing. Um the trademark registration doesn't ensure distribution. However, um the lack of a trademark registration can limit some of our other opportunities because uh, like certain labels won't want to get behind us if we can't protect our own logos and our merchandise for our name. Uh, certain licensing companies won't want to do that because they don't want to lose potential income or be liable for, um you know, a name dispute or something like that. So it, it does really kind of put these limits on us. And I mean, I've been fighting this thing for six years now and it's, um, it's crazy to think like it, I mean, in some ways it open, has opened up doors because of the fight. Like, I mean, that's why we're talking today and that's why, uh, you know, we were in NPR recently or NBC last night. Um, but in other ways it's, it, it, it has all these crushing limitations and it's, so it's kind of like this mixed thing. I, I don't know. But Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's,
0: Maybe gonna have some benefit to it, but I mean ultimately we would just want the government to to recognize what it is that you're you're asking for um because well, like you said, like the slant film festival in Houston exists that's you know the, it's a multi purpose word it's not um you know it's not something that that could possibly you know. Automatically make one person think of one thing.
1: Yeah, but you know that's that's not the, the argument of the the trademark office. They're saying, um, they're saying, you know, that our name is an inherent racial slur. So,
0: well, I, I recall reading that um, one of the first times you put your application through, you had a photo of the band, and. Um, the second time you tried doing it without the photo and it didn't make any difference. Now, is it because somewhere in the application you're stating we're an Asian American band?
1: Well, um, actually, the, so the first time around, we never stated that we we're an Asian band. We just, we, we just supplied flyers and posters and that kind of thing with what we had at the time. Uh, second application, we did the same thing, except we were more intentional about it. We didn't include anything in there that could possibly uh, refer to us as an Asian band. So the only way they could that the they would tell it's an Asian band is because of my my middle and my last name. Um, what the uh, what the examining attorney did for the trademark office though was copy and paste his response from our other application and put it into this one, which is uh, you know they're not supposed to do that because of laws like due process. So he. He used evidence that was a couple years old and didn't actually do a fresh search on us. So we kind of asked him. We're saying, hey, well, you are putting all this stuff in here saying that we are offensive, that this is a racial slur. But in every other trademark case in the history of the U.S. on slant, it's been fine. It never once has triggered this racial slur uh, thing that you're accusing us of. So why did you apply a racial slur to our case But not to any other case in the entire history of this country. And they said it is incontestable that the applicant is Asian-American and that that I'm a part of an Asian-American band. In other words, in his mind, because of our ethnicity, we automatically are offensive. We automatically trigger this notion that it's a racial slur, not any other possible definition. Um, and, And so we... We had a feeling that was going to be the case, and that's why we kind of put together what we call nickname, a race neutral or ethnic neutral application, to see if like we can just get it on the merit of its own thing. And um, we realized we couldn't, because he was dragging our identity into it. He was dragging the, the band members into it.
0: I kind of think that it would have helped that, you know, like, um, you use the word reappropriation and... I, you know, I'm not knowing who this person is that's reviewing your application. Uh, to me, I would be like, oh, they are intentionally doing this. They are choosing to do this. And, uh, you know, it's it's what they want. You know, whereas it's not a white band pulling out this name and doing something like really offensive, like, um, you know, painting their faces and using eyeliner to make their eyes look slanted or something.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, to be fair um that we actually made that argument on our first application we the first time we applied we 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 wrote that and then we also included about 2000 pages of evidence from uh, national surveys Asian American leaders internment camp survivors um dictionary experts tons of people saying hey what we're doing is not offensive this is a social justice movement this is uh, etc and the trademark office rejected that. They said, "Well, hey, well, Urban Dictionary says it's offensive." There we got this photo of Miley Cyrus pulling her eyes back, and that's a that's offensive. So therefore the name The Slants is offensive. Uh, it doesn't matter what you eight Asian people say, uh Urban Dictionary says it's offensive. And so we we got this back and forth with them, and that's when we when we, when we kind of filed the second application. We decided Let's change this argument altogether and ask them why they're saying we're offensive to begin with, and that's when we kind of revealed their other motivations and and that's why we're arguing before the court that um, there's some serious issues when you you know tie somebody's ethnic identity to a trademark, which is what they try to do to me so what are
0: your your plans are to because you had oral arguments today. So what, do you know what happened?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, actually the audio for it is up online now. There's a lot of legal speak there. Just <laughs> <laughs> fair warning. You're interested in listening to it. Um, and I think it, you know, it went pretty well, but, um, we're not going to get an answer back for another two months. It takes them about six to eight weeks to review and to make a decision. So, um, I'm just hanging on. And if if the outcome is not favorable, then we are likely going to be taking the next step, which is moving this into the Supreme Court. Um, and if it is favorable, then then we win this trademark registration. And um, in the bigger picture, which is the thing I'm really looking at, is that we suddenly flip the script and help change the law so that um, the government... Can't dictate what's right for minorities or marginalized communities. We we will we'll help win that right for our own communities. So uh, that that is really exciting. Like um, there was a St- Stanford Law professor who said that our trademark case is the marriage equality uh, case right now for small business, small medium sized business owners, and for for freedom of expression. So it's really, I mean, I personally I don't think it's that. that that uh an equivalent but um it's really exciting to know and to think that we can help relieve some kind of systemic uh racism in our government just by existing and fighting for what we think is right
0: do you think though if you were able to win that it would have the um the unfortunate effect, which is that they're, you know, what they're trying to allegedly protect right now, which is to keep people from being racist, whereas you're trying to reclaim the word?
1: Um, here's the thing. And, I, I, you know, I, I don't think that would happen, but people who are racist are going to be assholes no matter what. <laughs> <I'm>, That's true. <laughs> they're going to find other ways to to try and use words in an offensive manner. Whether it's slant or chink or jap or anything else, I mean, I would rather have somebody actually use a racial slur so that people can call them out on it and and actually have a conversation about it, than for them to hide behind things or you do things like have microaggressions, um, like you know trying to use more covert forms of racism. So I, you know, I I I think that. If we are going to be the country of free speech, which you know the we definitely claim to be, then we have to be the country that protects it even when it's disagreeable to us and so fundamentally i I believe that um that free there should be freedom of speech, and you know people are going to be racist, and I've come across many many of them, especially like since the court case became public. Um, then that's fine because I I have no problems confronting people about it. Um, but yeah, I, I I think if anything it, it it it's exciting to know that this case has the possibility, of, you know, bringing justice for other people. I mean, like the t-shirt company um, clearly queer or our band the slants. I mean, there's there's actually another Asian American uh, t-shirt company. They wanted to make t-shirts that said Chink Pride. Uh, they were denied saying that it's offensive to Asians. What's ironic is that there are about a dozen trademarks out there for the term chink and they're all held by white people. And it's, of course, you know, they, all the, all the trademarks held on the term slant right now, almost 800 of them. They're all white people. And it's like, well, as soon as, uh, as soon as like a person of color steps up to the plate, they're like, Hey, Hey, that's racist. You, You can't do that. And, um, so I, I think it's about time we kind of shift that dynamic and, and try to uh, bring a more informed uh, and culturally competent process.
0: So through all of this, did you ever consider just changing the band's name?
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I thought about it, but not for very long because I'm like really stubborn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: it's more about the principle than, than anything else. You know, it's – and, you know, business-wise, it doesn't make sense, especially since we had a couple albums released at that point. We'd been touring for a few years. We we built a name for ourselves, and so to have to change it would uh, would be terrible for us.
0: Yeah. I, I remember – I can't remember what the name of the band was, but um, back when I was in college, I remember hearing – um, somebody's band had to change their name because um, a more famous musician decided just to um, leave the band that they were in and start a new band, and they they took that name. And this is why you need to protect <laughs> your identity. Oh yeah, I mean um, it happens. You know, so so here they were. You know, they were just some local cover band or blues band or whatever, and they were just like eh, you know, but they didn't, but they weren't out there selling. Albums and making names, and there weren't websites and stuff yet. Like you know, you have a domain name yeah. that you want to keep. I mean, if somebody were to tell you, "Hey, you can't have the domain name because you're offensive," I mean, yeah, that that would crush you know what you've already had.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's kind of the trademark registration is such a big deal, and we don't even realize it. Um, like I was talking to a friend of mine who's an attorney, and she she used to represent uh, Beyonce and Destiny's Child. But back when they were getting signed, they were just called Destiny. And the label was like, you can't use that. There's already 12 other Destinies out there, and you can't trademark this term. You're going to have to change your name. And the the group was like all up in arms. They're like, but th- we're Destiny. We're not, you know, we can't change our name. Um, the label essentially said, you change your name or you're not going to get a deal. And so finally they changed the name and came up with Destiny's Child. And um, I'm sure that they are very glad that they did that because of all the success that followed. But um, it's amazing to see like how those little things can really affect us in the long run.
0: Well, um, I hope that, that people do continue to show their support to you and to the the band and, you know, if you guys are, if you guys listening, get the opportunity to catch them live. I imagine that'd be a hell of a show because their videos are really fun. So I imagine live must be a lot of fun too. (laughs) Um, you know, Simon, before I let you go, did you see the commercials for ABC's new show, Fresh Off the Boat? I
1: I did actually. And I read the book, uh, the Eddie Huang, uh, memoir that, that the show's based off of.
0: So does it look like something that is going to be sensitive and funny or is it going to be insensitive and funny? Um,
1: you know, I, I actually, full disclosure, know quite a bit about the show because uh, a friend of mine, um, he, he's a writer, his son is the star of the show. And, oh, cool. Um and I, after, when I first saw like an ad, I like I kind of felt uncomfortable with it. I'll be honest with you. I was like, ah, fake accent, uh, fresh off the boat, tag. <laughs> What's going on here? Right. Uh, but I knew that the guy, uh, he would not get involved. He would not jump in unless it was. Uh, a very appropriate show, and um, and so he says, believe me, just watch it, wait, you know, as the season goes on, you'll see what I mean, and so I trust him on it, and I read the book, and the book is hilarious and wonderful, um, and I, you know, the, the main actor, he actually, Randall Park, went to college with my keyboardist, and so we know him, and we know he's, like, a really smart guy, and a really, like, very aware person, so he wouldn't just do this without it, it like if it feels if it demeaning as well. So, uh, honestly, I am thrilled. I'm excited because there hasn't been an Asian American family sitcom since the terrible, uh, all American girl that, that had Margaret Cho was on air. So, it's like really cool to see this happening once more and, and hopefully something that my community can connect with. So,
0: I hope so. I hope it's really funny because Blackish. Is fairly new to to being on the air. I think it's it's been on for a season now, and and it is really funny.
1: Yeah, I mean the the network is really trying. I mean, the, all of their new shows have a very diverse cast, and actually, uh, the show Fresh Off the Boat in particular has the most uh, diverse cast of writers on any TV show in in all of history. They have they have the most people of color working on that show, so. I feel very, very good about that.
0: That's really good news. Um, that makes me feel like we were talking about feeling better about something uh, when when your blinders are on. You know, like I saw that l- lineup of the comics <laughs> that one comics uh, published or that didn't have any women working for them. Um, you know, so hearing that there is diversity happening, yay! Somewhere today, that's good news.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm so looking forward to it. So
0: all right so let 's get a, a rundown of all your social media and everything for for you and for the slant so people can uh, start following and get more informed about uh, how to f- keep up with you guys
1: sure um, well, my, my personal Twitter is at SimonTheTam, and, uh, and the slant stuff can be found at, at the slants Facebook Twitter um, you know people can search for it on YouTube and so on. Um, also, one other thing is we we do have a GoFundMe campaign. So if people want to get involved with the trademark case, um, they they can look for for our case on there as well.
0: That'd be really good because I know that um, you're racking up a lot of court fees, and every time you do anything, you have to file.
1: Yeah, you have not, to file for it. yeah. Unfortunately, fighting a a case in this country is not not cheap.
0: Right. Right. Well, good luck, Simon. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Sure. Thank you for having me.
0: Um, You guys, of course, can follow me at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter. Everything else, including the show notes for what you just heard, are at amberunmasked.com. Thanks for listening. Cheers. To discover her bloodline
1: that day, and you wanted to ask mother, but you blew away. I still
0: wanna feel it. Take me, take me apart, and fill up my heart with quicksand. sand sail the sea. They say, cold in your bones like deep winter. She gave me away. I still want to feel it. Drive to see her face But it is frozen
1: And there's love